This episode of Vintage Stormfront Freaks has been previously recorded. Uh, this is the Stormfront Freaks podcast and Stormfront Freaks Raw. So thank you for listening. And those of you watching us live, this is episode 22. Yay! Right? 22, baby! Our guest is extreme meteorologist Reed Timmer. Reed. Uh, We will also be discussing the disparity between weather for the benefit of science versus weather for business and money. So that ought to be a good topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our topic of discussion tonight. Um, my Barry White voice is really getting nice and low nice. and edgy. We like it, and we like it. So, hey, so a lot of you, you all remember that scene in Twister when the late Bill Paxton's character, Bill Harding, introduces us to Jonas Miller. So he was the bad guy, right? He was the guy that, quote, went out and got corporate sponsors and is in it for the money, not the science, unquote. So tell me. I guess, why does it seem people in the weather uh, and academic and service industry don't seem to get along with with people in the business industry? And I'll I'll share uh, one article from CNBC. Uh, It was called Weather Services Become a Big Business. And there are two things I wanted to bring up in the article. Number one, it said the National Weather Service issues data to support the entire economy and quote, we have a laser-like focus on public safety, said Edward Johnson, the director of National Weather Service Strategic Planning. But quote, he said, we don't believe it's our job to provide packaged information for an individual manufacturer. Well, the article went on to also say, it said, while only government has the means to build and operate a vast weather infrastructure of satellites and radar, uh, Weather Bank CEO Steve Root says, There are things that private industry does that it can do faster, quicker, sweeter, and better than the government. The North American weather enterprise produces content unrivaled elsewhere in the world. So guys, what's the issue between weather for science and weather for business? Money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, money and also competition. I think, um, you know, between the people doing it for research and the people doing it, you know, for business, I think to some degree they're competing against each other. And I think to some degree, especially now, you know, you see with, you know, the new administration, they're reducing funding for NOAA. And part of the reason, you know, why that's happening sort of is because, you know, there might be not saying there is, there definitely, you know, isn't, but there might be other alternatives that are out there. And so that's Mm -hmm. why, they don't like that because it's it's competition, um, and also at the same time too, on the other side of the coin, you know sometimes these you know these are businesses they're bo- they have to meet their bottom line so public safety isn't their number one, and so mm-hmm. at the same time that's you know the other side of the coin as well. Well, say you're an electric company and you've got somebody you've got meteorologists on staff who could tell you when there's a big storm coming so you can mobilize your people. 
you can have them ready you can have supplies ready so when power lines go down man people are out there immediately to get power back up they don't care about something going on in the other side of the country they want just what they want to know they want it packaged exactly to people who don't know weather that says this is what's going to happen you must do this and you must do that that's all they really want to know and it yeah. saves them millions of dollars and i think the weather service too issues the warnings by by a county and uh, the watches you know and the large uh, polygons but many times maybe a company would want to know if there's a tornado within 100 miles or a tornado within 50 miles and i think the private sector uh, is able to take the national weather service data and the forecast and repackage that into a uh, forecast that are maybe tailored for certain uh, industries and that are maybe, maybe not tailored specifically for the safety of certain individuals but maybe the safety of uh, whole companies or shipping lanes or railroads and maybe they just need to know uh different parameters or, or, yeah. or different types of data so yeah reed and i think and i think you make a good point reed because i feel like you know for the two industries really to have the impact that they want and to you know save do the most good for the public i think they need to get along because you know just like you said if the private industries aren't using the national weather service you know they're an unbelievable amount of data that they you know can gather based you know because of their resources then what you know what data are they using so i think you know that divide that it does exist i think you know we got to try and work to bridge the gap and, and it already is happening in some extents but we need to continue you know getting these two sides to come together yeah and there's also a gap too in the storm chasing um, industry as well and between that and academics and maybe even the media as well and also with emergency managers especially and uh more recently, you know, there were issues with uh, between storm chasers and, and they're, they aren't always looked at in a positive light. Many are complaining about the numbers of storm chasers out there, but I do think it's important to focus on the positive as well, because the more storm chasers that are out there, it's almost impossible for a tornado to happen and go unreported uh, these days. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the most important part is that the people in the path of these storms are getting warned and when the tornadoes touch down, everybody knows that they're in progress through social media and live streams and everything. But I agree, if everybody got along, that'd be the best part. And we also need to realize that everybody has to pay bills and that they have expenses and everybody needs resources to storm chase and gas is expensive, hotels are expensive. And you know there are people that are doing it for science, but they may have grants or research. And if they lost those you know, and had to fund their research by selling footage to different news outlets for $200 a pop, then you know, they might understand the other side a little more. And uh, I think that it's important to know that everybody does need resources to do things. And so to not look negatively on uh, people if they are, if their goal is to, is to make money initially, you know, they may have to survive. You, know, you don't know, everybody has different financial situations. And, uh, mm -hmm. but I agree that everybody working together is, uh, it'd be awesome if um, all storm chasers and all researchers and everybody were fully funded and the sky would be the limit for research. But, I think everybody working together definitely would create the, the best end result mm -hmm. for research and the warning process. Yeah. You know, it's I'm, only a matter of time before Vegas gets involved and you have <laughs> the probability of a tornado with a certain period, you know, 10 oh, miles, yeah. 20 miles. Uh, <laughs> just say it. No, Maz, I, think you have, you know, I think you have a gambling problem, Maz. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to jump in there. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead to cut it. Yeah, so you know, I think there there is a point of contention here, but I think reasonable pe reasonable people on each end of the spectrum realize that that 
you need each other in this industry to to best uh, educate the public, best warn the public, and best uh, protect lives and property. And I think it's the times where it becomes contentious is when someone kind of steps out of line per se. Um, one big area of contention is when there's like a big, a big storm on the horizon, like six or seven days out, and someone's hyping it so that they get clicks. Um, yep. That that's that's an area where like you know, you can probably say you shouldn't be doing that because our models aren't good enough to have the exact inch amount of snow for one location. Um, but and that's just one example. There are other examples, but. I, I think for the most part, people do recognize that this harmony needs to exist. And uh, what I, I was at the AMS conference in January, uh, American Meteorological Society conference in Seattle. And you go there and it's a big party. Everyone's talking, everyone's having a mm -hmm. good time. Um, mm -hmm. And and so, yeah, I think while there is some contention, I think they're, they're definitely, it's definitely recognized that uh, we all got to get along. What I know you just, Dakota, you guys on, on Weather Junkies just had the uh, director of the National Weather Service on. Was there any, was that brought up at all as far as um, how they're trying to advance and, and if businesses are helping to push them or if it's creating contention? We actually didn't. Uh, no, not really. I mean, we okay. the one thing we did talk about was how the National Weather Service is weeding through uh, in this day and age when there's so much information being pushed out and you know not all of it is good information. Um, he mentioned how they're trying to improve their communications uh, by revamping their website. Um, they're, they're going through the hazard, hazard uh, simplification project where they're trying to uh, reduce the amount of colors uh, in their watches and warnings and reduce the amount of warnings um, that they, they have in general. Uh, so uh, that was the only part we touched on was was kind of weeding through some of the bad information uh, while also recognizing there is a lot of good information that's not National Weather Service, that's AccuWeather or Weather Channel, um, for instance. Yeah, I just wonder, I just wonder how many people that are not meteorologists are involved in business really use National Weather Service data, though. You know, I mean, is it, I like the idea of competition, but you know, some, who clicks on their websites besides meteorologists who kind of want a good, good feel for what's going on? I mean, any, anybody have lot, any thoughts on that? People, I bet a lot of people use that, that data. A lot of companies probably are using that data and maybe aren't even aware of it. I think that, you know, the National Weather Service data obviously bases almost all the, uh, most of the private weather products out there. I think it, after they, of course, they would repackage it, but in terms of the radar, the right. satellite, the forecast model data, and then a lot of times those are you know, there are different graphics packages that can make the models look look different. But I think that they definitely need each other. And without the National Weather Service, we'd have big problems, obviously. Oh, I need it as a base. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. The best weather service out there. And uh, I've storm chased a lot in Canada over the years as well. And, you know, you could, it's just, a, we're very blessed, I think, to have the, uh, uh, the, the the amazing radar, the high res radar, these models like now they have the H triple R, what the four kilometer and three kilometer NAM, and they're you know those tools that I think are great for storm chasers and everybody to look and to have access to that. You know, whether a company or a, a user, I think is awesome too. So what what are your guys's thoughts on um, companies and now even television stations? that again trying to have the edge you know and Maz you've talked about this too in the past but TV stations trying to have the edge 
and trying to uh, get a, do a better job of pinpointing severe thunderstorm uh, warnings or tornado warnings and getting more specific than the NWS polygons that they're, they're basically now issuing their own alerts or warnings. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, pluses and minuses. Well, you're already starting to see that with weather apps. Every station is getting their own apps. So some of them are broadcasting on their app even before the newscast comes on to get an edge over the competition. So at one point in time, is there no longer a need for the actual broadcast? Yeah. And I, th I think, too, it comes down to, you know, who is really behind these warnings? Like, if you have an experienced television meteorologist that, you know, has been doing it for, yeah. you know, years in the same area and mm -hmm. has a really good feel on the radar, um, I think that can be okay. I think they it, it can get confusing when they start putting out their own warnings. I think, you know, where they have a huge advantage is in, you know, showing the radar and getting in-depth on the neighborhood that the tornado is in. I think that's right. huge value they can mm -hmm. add to the customer. And also, you know, that's one of those cooperation pieces mm -hmm. that the National Weather Service necessarily can't do. You know, having said that, though, if you get the, you know, a guy with the wrong experience with maybe only a year, you know, he's just out of college and he's put in that situation, which can happen at a smaller TV station. I think that can be actually, you know, very dangerous because he's, you know, might not be the most experienced and he might, you know, be putting, you know, his own polygon in areas that really shouldn't have that polygon. And I think that can do a lot of harm. So that's where I don't necessarily think, you know, that they should be putting out their own warning. So I think it really comes down to the person behind, you know, the screen or the person that's issuing these warnings. Brady, have you they done don't... that yet? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We'll see. It almost seems like you just want to add on to the warning from the National Weather Service because you can have a warning in a certain county and then you pick it up from there. You zoom in with the radar. You get the mm -hmm. tight high-res radar. You show where the hook is. You show, like the National Weather Service, mm -hmm. where you tell you the direction and the speed. So you time it out, show what neighborhood it's going to hit next. So it's all, I mean, there's where you got to really work together because the National Weather Service, they're covering the whole country. I mean, granted, you have regional offices, but they're not going to get down to the county and start... Right showing you yeah. you know where it's going they're just going to give you the basics this is the direction this is the speed mm -hmm. now you have your on-camera person go and explain it tell them what the impacts are okay yeah it's coming to my neighborhood in 10 minutes but what right. what am i going to expect in 10 minutes well i mean there are times like when you're looking at the radar you're on the air you've got it right in front of you and you're watching the new scan come in and you see all of a sudden there's a couplet well, you could talk about this, say, oh my, you know, wow, we're seeing this right here. We maybe have a circulation. And, you know, five minutes later, then you get a tornado warning. So yeah, definitely, you know, if, if you know what you're talking about, I agree, Brady, that there's no reason why you couldn't suggest a warning or say, you know, there's going to be a tornado developing because mm -hmm. you're, you're seeing it instantaneously more. You're quicker than when the National Weather Service is getting that warning out. Yeah. And so. at the same time, too, I think you could use your experience to say, you know, maybe there isn't necessarily, I think you have to be really careful about saying like there's a tornado on the ground or, you know, I think if there was, you know, because in Ohio, we have a bunch of squall lines that come through that, you know, they might issue a tornado warning for it. And it turns out to be a false alarm. And I think not that you should say, hey, this is probably a false alarm, but you should say, hey, we don't necessarily know there, you know, we haven't seen a tornado on the ground. Um, it's not confirmed yet. 
you because you know I talked to my I was talking to my aunt the other day. She's like, yeah, when a tornado warning, you know, happens in Ohio, I don't even pay attention to it because we never get one. So I think it's very important to have that once again person that knows what they're talking about and that can yeah. add that value that mm -hmm. really you know builds up that kind of trust behind the scenes. Tell tell her we just had one last week, by the way. <laughs> I will. Mile, she doesn't believe house. me. No, she. Yeah. Oh God. Uh oh. All right. Well, Mark has been studying the impacts of hurricanes for 22 years, and he is the founder and editor of HurricaneTrack.com. And his team actually deploys remotely operated unmanned camera systems to stream and capture live video of hurricane effects. That is so cool. Now, the video is saved in the cloud and later retrieved for analysis including time-lapse research and educational uses. In addition, Mark has worked to collect wind and pressure data during tropical storms and hurricane landfall events, and has contributed numerous reports to the National Hurricane Center, both operationally and post-cyclone. Well, I know we have a million questions for you, Mark. This is just so cool. And I think, you know, my when I read this and I looked at your website, I thought, this Herbie, I don't know how you say it, H-U-R-R-B project, I think that's what we're talking about in your intro. Um, to me, it's like the equivalent of Toto, you know, in the, you know, the, in, you know, you're out chasing tornadoes, you throw Toto out there and try to get some, um, get some data back. So tell us about this project. I think it's very fascinating. If you've had some success with it, too. Yes, it started way back in 2004, really, uh, during that very busy season. We had conversations with Max Mayfield, the former director of the National Hurricane Center, over the years prior to 04, and he was very concerned about chasing hurricanes and, you know, that somebody's going to get hurt and, you know, they value the data and the reports and the video, but it goes against everything they stand for, condoning people going into hurricanes when they're trying to get people to evacuate. And he was really encouraging about trying to come up with a way to leave something behind to record uh, video, especially, and, and certainly data. And I've always been a data geek uh, ever since I was a kid. You know, when the Weather Channel came on the air, uh, I thought, wow, that's the greatest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And it just became, you know, it sucked me in. And so as I grew up and started doing the hurricane thing, we really got that uh, sort of father figure response from Max. You could tell he really cared but he also really wanted to, I think, have a change in the way things were done so that somebody does not get hurt. And so by 2005, we had come up with a way to basically use a laptop. And I'm going to try to do the share thing real quick. We'll see if we can get this to work. And we'll do an application. And there it is. Very nice. So that's what the first one looked like. And uh, the for those listening to this on the podcast, it's, think of a, a footlocker, like a trunk. It's yellow, it's pretty large, uh, and inside of it uh, are all these gadgets and a laptop and a huge battery to power everything. Uh, we were using Windows Media Encoder to encode that video, and it was cumbersome. It worked, but it was, it was tough, and uh, we started that in 2005. And it was heavy, yeah. exactly. It took a couple of us <laughs> to do it. We only put four of them in the back of the Tahoe, and um, so the first event was Hurricane Katrina. Uh, we had tested it before then, but the first real-time event was Katrina, and we took uh, my colleague Mike Watkins and myself, three of those boxes, and we set it up in Gulfport, Mississippi, and 
you know, the whole thing's just this epic long story, obviously, but we lost all of them in that magnificently terrifying surge. And I say that, I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable and it erased everything that we had attached the boxes to. Oh. Wow. So it took until about 2015, 14, 15 or so for things to change that the technology became smaller and it allowed us to get away from using a laptop altogether and just use a Wi-Fi based camera and a mobile hotspot. And then these lithium battery packs that are, well, I mean, the whole thing, this is what it looks like now. I mean, it's oh, tiny. Wow. a little bit bigger than a lunchbox. And so we can fit 20 of them in the back of our Tahoe if we want to. Uh, we have a dozen, but I mean, they weigh five pounds fully loaded. And oh, so, how, so they weigh back. less. How much do they weigh? How much do they cost? Sorry. <laughs> right. So, well, the old system, and I'm glad you mentioned that, that was about $1,500 to set up. And the new system's anywhere between five and $700. Oh, wow. And the beauty of it is it's, it's nice. wide frame, 16 by nine. Uh, it has audio where the old system did not have audio. And the first deployment in a hurricane, because we came up with these really in between hurricane landfalls for the United States, uh, was Hurricane Hermine last year. And the one that we set up that was very successful was in Cedar Key. And uh, that turned out to be extremely popular on the Weather Channel, on the Weather Channel's Facebook Live and on our streaming services that we do. Yeah. Uh, and it was just incredible to be able to put it wherever we want to and then leave. Uh, and it captures in your face point of view video where nobody else can be, not even the uh, most diehard of storm chasers. You think <laughs> about you know, Josh Morgerman, Mike Tice, uh, Jim Eds, myself, you can't stand there with a video camera, even a GoPro, when six feet of waves and picnic tables and docks are coming through, it'll kill you. Yeah. This camera <laughs> can. Wow. And it did. And it was remarkable. Wow. And then we set it up during Matthew, in which we can get to that. But it started uh, back in 04, really, as an idea. And then in 05, we put it into uh, operation. And it has evolved into what we have now. And this so is tell, our... Tell, go ahead. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but I guess tell, tell me a little bit as you're talking about that. What, what is the like, funding behind the project? Um, where are you getting the money for all these units? Well, you know, so currently um, everything's basically crowdfunded. And, oh, that's awesome. And, you know, but in the old days we had uh, big corporate sponsors that were, behind what we did. Uh, Lowe's Home Improvement for about seven years. Uh, we were working with Sprint and Sprint actually would give us equipment. Um, a quick story, back in 2001, I was using uh, an old Samsung bar phone. No, it was a Sanyo. My mind's starting to go. <laughs> Sanyo. Join the club. You got some time, you got some time. Plugged into the laptop to get about 14.4, maybe 28.8 data and anyway, it was Tropical Storm Barry, and I was able to send a report to the National Hurricane Center in the eye. Barry was really well organized for a tropical storm using my laptop. And uh, Carrie Sanders from NBC News mm -hmm. did a piece on us, and it aired the next day on the Today Show. Somebody from Sprint saw that in Overland Park, and the rest was history. 
And so we were able to get amazing technology as it was coming out and field test it. And uh, that allowed us to do a lot, it really did. But things change, economies come and go, whatever. Uh, hurricanes, if they don't keep in the public's eye, people start, well, we don't really need to fund any things. We haven't yeah. had any in so long. Um, and you know, it's business, it is. And so, but today, when you have the ability to reach a lot of people like we can and social media, then the funding can be spread out across a lot of people like public radio is. And, uh, you know, probably not going to be buying a yacht from what I do. <laughs> but at least keep this going. Damn. So that I can do yeah. what I enjoy. Maybe a kayak. Maybe a, le a Lego <laughs> yacht. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, Mark, are there, are there any uh, are there any sensors inside as well that get like you know like barometric pressure and wind speed or any, any of those as well inside that? Not this box, but we have um, an entire other system okay. that we use. We use RM Young anemometers and RM Young pressure sensors. Okay. Now, people who know that, you know, that's very high dollar, high end, extremely accurate recording equipment. You don't go to the mall to Brookstone. And buy <laughs> not a Radio Shack <laughs> stock <laughs> item. Uh, and even that has evolved. Uh, the equipment has stayed the same, the sensors, but the way we would gather that data and then transmit it out to the internet has changed. Uh, everything was based on laptops back in the day, and now, uh, even with our weather data, we're able to use, and starting just this year, in fact, it's literally getting ready to go live, the first event that we have. Uh, we're using the little tiny Raspberry Pi uh, computer, Linux. Ah, uh, yes. And so all of the equipment that would have to go into a case to, for the weather data is now in the, si the size of that little box down. Everything's tiny now. Um, and so it's just fantastic. And all of that data goes to our app and to our website, to our subscribers. And it was really, really amazing during Matthew to see people screen capturing our app and mm -hmm. sharing it elsewhere on Twitter um, that they were using it. It made me feel good that we created the code. We created everything, the software to talk to the equipment and set it up and here are people watching it. And I mean, it updates every Incredible. minute in front of your eyes and it really made me feel good. And it ended up in the post cyclone report, Stacy Stewart, included my data and that just makes me feel good because sure. contributing to the science uh, means a lot to me but tell, tell me a little bit because uh, i know you've been dabbling in drone uh, drone usage Ooh. what what's your idea with that mark how, how do you plan on adding that to your whole uh, system well i think the obvious thing is obvious when it gets too windy you can't use them and so we have no plans for anything like that that's just beyond uh anybody's capability or budget more than likely. Sure. So the best use would be, in my opinion, especially when trying to understand the effects of storm surge, which a lot of these remote cameras are gonna be there to record on ground level, would be, especially for a very large surge event hurricane, such as Katrina or Ike, or something along the North Carolina Outer Banks like Irene uh, back in 2011, and that would be to fly the coastline and get a lot of before footage and then you geolocate everything and you go back and whenever you can and fly it again afterwards and you can use that to compare 
before and after, and it can serve in, in almost real time as we can upload that to YouTube immediately, and then in education work and outreach and scientific work later on after the hurricane. Other than that, probably not going to be very much that we can do considering, you know, 25, 30 miles per hour. It becomes very difficult to operate even the best of the phantom uh, quadcopters that we have. So how do you decide where you're going to put it? Some of the equipment that we have. Mm -hmm. you um, yeah, like, you know, do you, do you go for the right front quadrant? I mean, what do you, what, what do you, what do you that's do? A great question. And so, yeah, they say, you know, do not focus on the skinny black line that goes down the middle of the forecast cone. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what we have to focus on because we want to make sure we are in that zone and as close to the eye as possible with our equipment. As we are able to afford more equipment, we can spread it out over a larger area and we're getting there. Uh, we have plenty of cameras. I want more weather data collection equipment and that's more costly, but we'll get there. So the idea is we follow each advisory and you know, where the cone is going, where the center is forecast and what the effects are. Uh, my degree is in geography and I focused heavily on earth science and climatology and hurricanes. And you got to know the coastline. You have to understand that a hurricane along the upper Texas coast is different than a hurricane along the North Carolina outer banks. Mm. And that's different than a hurricane in New Jersey. And so after 22 years, you start getting good at figuring yeah. out, okay, this hurricane's going in this general area. What do we have around here where we can best document, observe, and then later use as research the effects of that hurricane. And so Hermine was an easy one. You knew where it was going for the most part. And on that right-hand side, up into the Cedar Key area, the Big Bend of Florida, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. And so I put a camera in Cedar Key and it <laughs> captured, as a, a side note, the record high surge ever recorded in Cedar Key. The camera was there for that. Wow. So, That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you put both units together, like the, the media camera unit and the sensor unit, or do you spread those out as it's well? It's almost like you've been sitting in on our meeting. So we used to not, <laughs> we had to try to figure out, uh, so before they were separate, okay. and so we would have a, 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 uh, a hotspot to power the weather data system, and then another hotspot, a mobile hotspot to power the camera. And once we got to this idea of using the Raspberry Pi and everything's going to be smaller, I figured the two can be real close to each other because with the weather data, ever since we came up with that back in 04, we wanted there to always be a, a JPEG image, a, a, like a webcam shot coming from wherever we set up the instruments. And so I said, let's get rid of the JPEG image and let's use live video now. We can. And so they'll just share the same hotspot because the weather data is only bytes. 20, 30 bytes per minute that sure. are getting sent up. And the streaming video, of course, is more, mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't, it, there's so much bandwidth that it we can do it now. So there'll be two boxes. One will contain the camera, it's two battery packs, and the hotspot, and then 20, 30 feet away, or maybe closer, will be the box that has the Raspberry Pi, and it's got Wi-Fi built in, and it'll talk to the hotspot and off we go, a two for one deal. So Mark, when you place the, the cameras and stuff down, do you usually try and stay near or do you get the heck out of there? Like, are, are you, are you, you know, chasing it or are you, are you, are you, you know, going to a different state? Well, this, this brings uh, 
they were developed mainly for the severe hurricanes that we have no business being where the cameras are. For putting okay. a camera up, uh, I mean, we're going to do it in a tropical storm. We're testing every time we can, and yeah. I love yeah. being out there. But the idea is that they are a replacement for me, and I can be, and my team and I, in several places at once because of this. And so the idea would be to set them up and then go somewhere else to nowadays man social media, keep blogging, keep doing reports from wherever we are. But now we have to focus on, and Kim mentioned this earlier, and I want to make a distinction, our hurricane research balloon project, Herbie, which is a separate project. We've got everything covered on the land. I think we do a pretty good job of it and, and the ocean basically and where they interface. Uh, five years ago, we came up with the idea of sending uh, a balloon through the eye of a hurricane at landfall wow. with uh, weather data capability uh, from high altitude science. They have this little tiny computer and they, you know, it records pressure, humidity, and temperature every six seconds onto a little micro SD card and they use it in all kinds of high altitude research. So we thought, why don't we do that in the eye of a hurricane? It's basically a sounding. But if we're going to do that, you might as well put two GoPros on there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What it looks like. Oh, yeah. So and we you can watch it live, right? I mean, you can. Not yet. Uh, not we, yet. Need, okay. we need funding for that. That's a. <laughs> yeah, that would be. All right. Uh, oh, here we go. This is, this is it right now. Let's ask for it. Ooh, Challenge is out there. It, it, okay. it After I pay well. my student loan debts, I got you. <laughs> but you got to have more equipment to do that, and you got to keep the. So the hurricane's job is to ruin your life and to break your stuff. <laughs> and we are not immune. Trust me. Uh, and so you have to keep it simple and keep everything easy to operate. And so Herbie was designed, it has two GoPros. It has the weather computer, an APRS transmitter for amateur radio, beaconing, and then a spot locator uh, to help as a redundancy to find it. And the whole thing, again, is it looks just like this. It's in the, uh, a case. We have... We have so many of these boxes that yeah. I think we're keeping Pelican case in business. There you go. It's not the military, it's us. Um, yeah. It weighs five pounds, and uh, it's lifted by a 1,500-gram weather balloon, and it goes up to 100,000 feet. That's the idea. It bursts, and it comes back down. And all the while, it's recording all of that data and recording everything on the GoPro, on the chips, and they'll run for a little over five hours. We've tested it almost a half a dozen times, not in a hurricane, obviously, usually out in the Great Plains somewhere. You say, well, why would you do that? Well, it's easy, very easy. It's flat. Yeah. We want to make sure the equipment works and that the finding Not part losing. is it. Because <laughs> yeah. in a hurricane, it's going to be the hardest thing we've ever done. You're going to need your time. yacht. Oh, yeah, you're going to need several yachts, you're a fleet of yachts. Yacht. So but, do do this. I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit here, Mark, because I, I want to get your opinion and feedback on this year and the hurricane season. And what, what I'd like you to do is first explain a little bit to our listeners um, just a quick definition of El Nino and why that has an impact on the, the tropical season and, and what it's looking like this year. Well, El Nino, very simple definition, is the abnormal warming of the tropical equatorial Pacific. Uh, the exact why is still basically unknown, you know, what triggers it, et cetera. But 
that'll warm up in different regions. The Nino regions are divided into different areas, kind of like a Venn diagram. And when you get all that extra heat out there, you usually have more convection and that air going up spreads out. And in simplest terms, it sends that air across into the Atlantic Basin, usually the Western Caribbean, not so much the Gulf, and sometimes across the tropical Atlantic, all that rising motion in the Pacific causes sinking motion and shear in the Atlantic, to put it in simple terms. And so an El Nino is bad for the formation of Atlantic hurricanes, but generally good if you don't want to see Atlantic hurricanes, with the exception of 1992 as an example with Andrew, Andrew. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 1983 maybe. Uh, it's just It just depends, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so early in the year, it looked like based mainly on the European and its ensembles, it was like, oh, El Nino is coming again. And a lot of people really jumped on that, uh, including Joe Bastardi. I mean, I'm not calling him out. I'm just I'm stating what it is. <laughs> Sounded like you were. <laughs> hey, you know what? At least today I saw on his blog that he said how Tom Downs was telling him, oh, yeah, I don't get don't get on that El Nino bandwagon, Joe. And he's he didn't listen. And but the Euro's good, right? I mean, it is. And yeah. so. Uh, and so a lot of people thought, okay, it's coming. If the Euro says that it, it must be, and it's wrong. It turned out to be wrong. Now there's the predictability barrier, a period of time where it's really hard for these models to resolve things that far in the future. And it's not going to happen. I mean, we're looking at, uh, in fact, the June, mid June CPC IRI came out today, the consensus and it's, it's, it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Atlantic, on the other, other on the other hand, warmed uh, above normal in the main development region, and almost a complete horseshoe shape, uh, typical of a warm AMO pattern, not completely dissimilar than 2005. And I said, "Oh man, no. 2005! No. Oh god! Watch out!" But it's not ever going to be an exact match. But if you look, yeah. you're going to have that horseshoe shape of warmth mm -hmm. around the Atlantic. And it's this year is close enough that you have to say we're probably going to have a pretty busy season ahead. Wow. Yeah. So Does tell us, uh, do, do me a favor here, Mark. Um, tell us a little bit about HurricaneTrack.com and your app, and also explain how listeners and viewers can, you know, follow you on social media and find yeah. that. So HurricaneTrack.com started in 1999, just as a way for me to. You know, reached the world, and I started writing up what I called a commentary uh, pretty much every day. It was, you know, hurricane outlook and commentary or something like that. Now we know it as blogging. And mm -hmm. um, back then I had to actually use HTML. <laughs> now I do it in WordPress. That's great. And um, so that's been around for, you know, quite a while now. I guess almost 18 years it is. And, um, uh, you know, with the advent of social media, especially live video, we really got into that, as I said, starting in 2005. And then, you know, a few years later, uh, we got away from Windows Media and started using Flash-based Ustream. And then, you know, Twitter came in, Facebook. Uh, and I've been with YouTube on there since 2006, but I never really understood what I had, which is my fault, because uh, if I had really embraced it, I think it would be a lot further along but that's really starting to take off. I put my daily video updates on there, and the responses from people are fantastic. The ability to reach people, and I know this is nothing compared to the 
the Minecraft gaming YouTube realm. <laughs> yeah. Eight oh million subscribers for some of these kids. <laughs> but some of my Matthew videos, you know, the Euro would come out and I would do a real quick update, seven or eight minutes on what it showed, 2.30 in the morning. And by noon the next day, it had 25,000 views. Wow. For one guy in his room, yeah. that, that made a difference. I was like, that's really cool. Yeah. And once in a, hey, let me tell you a real quick side story. I kid you not about YouTube. I'm at Wendy's here in Wilmington in a completely different car than my decked out Hurricane Tracker Tahoe. And I, I just ordered something for my kids, you know, whatever. And the guy said, oh, 632 at the window. And I pulled up and he goes, and I wasn't even wearing this shirt. I was just, I was undercover, right? He goes, are you the guy that does those weather videos on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> what? He goes, I recognize no. your voice. I couldn't. Oh. I was like, are you kidding <laughs> Wow. Yeah, we never get that. We no, never we get don't. that. Uh, I don't know about you, Phil, but I walk into Kroger and people just flock to me. People are like, can I buy your groceries? I'm like, not, not, today. not today. But Mark, what's, uh, Mark, how could people follow you on social media? So at Hurricane Track, Hurricane T-R-A-C-K is the brand of everything. And cool. so Twitter is at Hurricane Track, Facebook slash Hurricane Track, YouTube.com slash Hurricane Track. And um, one thing I really like to do is interact with people. One thing that bugs me about some of these very popular uh, people in the weather business is they ignore everybody that responds to them. And I'm like, you can't be that busy where you can at least respond to five or six out of the 40 or 50 that, that interacted with you. Yeah. Because I, I feel like it's a privilege. Yeah, and don't just, be a weather snob. Right. You know, and a certain president of the United States tweets and never responds to people. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> it's a little different. He's got 40-something million followers. So. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump to it's time for our lightning round, which is our speed round of fun questions for our guest. And we are bringing back, just for you, Mark, we're bringing back Hurricane or Supermodel. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, so here's, here's, here's the game. Uh, I'm going to give you a name. And you have to guess, is it a name of a 2018 Noah Hurricane name, or is it the name of a very popular supermodel? Hi. All right. All right. Well, professions pop goods uh, high score again? Was I, it like, yeah. didn't, didn't he get like every single one except for like two? Uh, yeah. oh, you're good. You're good. I don't know, well. dude. He was Pressure's on. No. All right. Let's do this. Let's do this. You ready? Mark, you ready to roll? I'm thinking He's about the list. Okay. Here we go. First, first name. Uh, Hurricane or supermodel? Oscar. Well, I'm, that's, that's a hurricane. Yeah, that is. It's, uh, it is a 2018 hurricane. All right. Next one. Patty. Hurricane or supermodel? Hurricane. It is. Patty is, two uh, is going to be uh, hurricane. All right. Next one. Jerry. Jerry. Supermodel or hurricane? Well, it's... um. I don't know if they retired Jerry, so I guess it's a hurricane. I don't know if it's on the uh, it is, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a 2018 scheduled uh, uh, hurricane name, but it that. is a supermodel, Jerry Hall. Oh, okay. Jerry, oh. yeah, that's just, did, did she marry Mick Jagger? Yes. Yes. Jerry. Yeah. Okay. All right, next one, Isaac. Well, yeah, that's a hurricane. Yeah, it's definitely a hurricane. Uh, next one, Linda, hurricane or supermodel? On the 18 list. My aunt's name is Linda. I'll say supermodel. 
uh, and you would be correct, Linda Evangelista. Yeah, that's my uh, aunt. Next one, <laughs> Sean, Hurricane or Supermodel? Uh, hurricane. No, Sean, uh, S-E-A-N, Sean O'Pry is a supermodel. Dreamy Sean. Next one, David, Hurricane or Supermodel? Uh, supermodel, because David's retired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, that's correct. It's David Gandy as a supermodel. Next one, Raphael. Uh, hurricane. That could Ooh. be interesting. That is a hurricane. See, that, that's wow. one of those that could catch you. Raphael's yeah, a Ra definite Raphael, supermodel. Yeah, you would definitely think Raphael's a supermodel. All right, Nadine. Nadine. Um, supermodel, because that just happened recently. Nadine. Oh, Nadine is, is... I was thinking is, of Nicole. Scheduled hurricane name. All right, next one. Brady ought to get this one. Uh, Giesel. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> supermodel. <laughs> Easel is a supermodel. What supermodel <laughs> is that? And why would Tom I get Brady. that? What you the heck? Come on. Isn't that Tom Brady's Brady wife? That. Right. Oh, that's Giselle. Giselle Bunch. Right. Oh, my wife's name is Giselle. Then <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Giselle? Are you sure? Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's Giselle. It's Giselle. Wait, did you say When you meant to say Giselle? It's, um, oh my God. God. He's coming right over there. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Wow. You know, it's, it's like uh, Wiz Khalifa. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not even close. <laughs> All right. Mark, Cindy, supermodel or hurricane? Which one? Cindy. Well, that's on this year's list, so that's a supermodel. Wow. That is Cindy Crawford. You're correct. All right. William, hurricane or supermodel? Uh, hurricane. Correct. Alex, Hurricane or Supermodel? So, okay, let me remember. So, Alex was 04. So, it would be again in 12. No, 6, 10, 16, plus 6 is 20. Uh, supermodel. Correct. Alex yeah. Lundqvist. Nice. Very Alex good. Wow. <laughs> you sure it isn't Giesel? Alex Giesel? <laughs> the pronunciation of these names do not uh, yeah, do not take me to the dictionary. All right, Stephanie, Hurricane or Supermodel? Hmm. <laughs> Hurricane. Uh, that would be a no. That would be uh, Stephanie yes. Seymour. Stephanie's uh, definitely a supermodel. Here we go. Uh, we got, we'll do a couple more here. Alberto. Alberto. Yeah, that's the first one next Alberto. year. That, that is correct. Alberto. Alberto is a hurricane name. Uh, we'll give you an easy one. Heidi. Heidi. I don't know if it's on the list, but it's definitely a supermodel name. So Heidi Kuhn. Yeah. Heidi Kuhn. All right. And then we'll last one. Uh, Tony. Hurricane or supermodel? Ooh, that's tough. Tony. See, we don't, we don't get to those... <laughs> right. Big Tony the Tiger. Like 2005. Big Tony the Tiger. Tony the Tiger's got some. Yeah, bad. I'll say supermodel. Here's the yeah. good news. No matter what you say, you would have been correct because Tony is the T Hurricane for 2018, but Tony Ward is also a very popular uh, mm. supermodel. <laughs> so, congratulations. Uh, great job. Thank you guys. We got a couple, yeah, and, and we give away pride here, so you got a lot of a lot of pride coming your way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for that answer, but you did a great job. Thanks for having some fun with us, Mark.
Thank you for tuning in to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. You can watch our bi-weekly show live on youtube.com slash stormfrontfreaks and download the audio version on your favorite podcast player. For links to our Patreon team of exclusive benefits, show notes, past shows, new videos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out our interactive chaser radar from our friends at zoomradar.com. If you'd like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Search for Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.